All right. Y'all doing okay tonight? Are y'all awake tonight? Yes? Sure? Maybe? No? All right. Who, who remembers what we talked about last week? No room. Okay. People in the world, they, weren't, they hadn't prepared. They weren't ready. The, the whole idea that, that when Jesus showed up on the scene, nobody was ready for him. Now, Mary and Joseph, remember we looked at, they had done a lot of things to get ready, but even the preparation they had done completely got changed. So we talked about this idea that, that when Jesus came, there, there was no room. In fact, we looked at that in those couple verses in Luke chapter 2. And just so you know tonight, we're not doing one chunk of Scripture tonight. We're going to jump around a little bit, so I'm not going to ask you to stand. But we are going to be in Luke chapter 2, and we are going to be in Matthew chapter 2. So you'll want to go ahead and make sure you've got access to those. But in Luke chapter 2, in verse 6 and 7, here are the two verses that we camped out on last week. Verse 6 says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So we looked at that and we looked at what it means when we talk about having room for Jesus. And I, I challenged you to ask yourself this question, do I have room for Jesus? In, in your life, in your personal, everyday, everything that you do, do you have room for Jesus in your life or is there no room? And I want to take that question a step further tonight. I want to ask you another question, and it's this one. It's not just, do I have room for Jesus, but it's, where do you put Jesus? Because we can, we can make room for Jesus. We can make room for, I mean, think about it this way. You've got things in your house. How many of you put up a Christmas tree already? Okay, did you have to move things to put up a Christmas tree? Okay, some of you are like, no, we have a place. That's where it goes. Some of you had to move stuff. So you, if you didn't have to move anything, you already had a place. You had already made room and you reserved that room and nothing else took up that space. But if you had to move something, you didn't save that space. If it's the same place you put that tree last year, you knew that tree was going right back in that same place this year. And yet in the time that it wasn't there, you filled that space with something else. So you had to stop and move those things out of the way to make room for that Christmas tree. So when we talk about this idea of do you have room for Jesus in your life, a lot of times there's a, different, there's a bunch of different responses of the way that people ask or answer that question. Some people will say, no, I have absolutely no room. Some say, I'll have a little bit of room when I can fit him in. Some people will say, yeah, I can focus on him for a while. And other people will say, yes, Jesus is my everything in my life. There's a couple different responses there. And that's why I ask you that question, not just do you have room for Jesus in your life, but if you do, where do you put him? What do you do with him? Because a lot of people this season, they'll, they'll hear the account of Jesus in Scripture. They'll walk through and they'll read Luke chapter 2 or, or they'll read Matthew chapter 2 and they'll see all of the things that it talks about Jesus' birth and they'll look at that and say, well, that, that's a really cute story that we deal with at Christmas time. Or they'll look at that and say, well, that, that's pretty cool because that's, that's historical and Jesus came and, and, and Jesus changed everything. And, you know, that's, that's why you have um, A.D. and B.C. Or, or what is it now? Before Common Era is what they're calling it now. I mean, you can call it whatever you want. It's when Jesus was born. Time was split. It's right there. It's a matter of fact. But sometimes what we do is we read through these accounts in Scripture and we look at them and we think, that's for Christmas time. And we ignore the fact that that has relevance for our lives today. Jesus is no longer a baby in the manger. 
Jesus lived his life. Jesus grew into adulthood. Jesus gave his life on a cross. There's a song that came out years ago. It was by a band called Reliant K, and some of you probably never heard of that band before. But there was a line in a Christmas song they did, and this line always got me because it says, Today I celebrate the day that you were born to die. Because that's what we're celebrating at Christmas time, right? Because that's the whole reason that Jesus was born in the flesh. We celebrate the baby Jesus, but we celebrate it because we know the reason that he came. And the reason that he came was to give his life. And just like those folks we looked at last week had the opportunity to make room for Jesus, what we're going to look at tonight is all of these different people in the manger account and the birth of Jesus account, we're going to look at how they responded to make room. Some of them didn't make room at all. Some of them moved everything out of the way so that Jesus could be their focus. And as we walk through this tonight, as we look at these different people and these different responses, I want to challenge you. Keep asking yourself that question the whole time. Where do I put Jesus? If I'm making room for him in my life, where do I put him? Because that's just as important as making room for him is what do you do with him? And there's four different responses we're going to look at that we see in Scripture tonight. So we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles or your, or your, your phone apps or whatever it is that you use, turn over to Matthew chapter 2. And the first thing that we're going to see here is we're going to see that the first response to Jesus was he was seen as a threat to be avoided. And for some reason, people see it that way. We're, we're looking at King Herod on that response. For some reason, there are some people in this world, they see Jesus as a threat. Did, did the slide not come up there? Okay. <laughs> I had a weird-looking face out there. I didn't know what was, something was going on wrong behind me. But they see Jesus as a threat. And now it, we don't know what that is. We don't know why that is. But there's people, I don't know if it's they see him as a threat to their personal freedom or they see him as a threat to the, the religion that they've kind of put together where they've picked and chosen from other different religions and, hey, this is kind of the God that I want to follow. Or maybe they even take Scripture and they say, hey, I really like that part about Scripture, but I don't really like that part, so I'm going to kind of ignore that. There's people that when they hear about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, they see him as a threat. And that's exactly what we see in the account of King Herod when Jesus is born. It tells us here in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews for we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now what we see here is we've got King Herod. For some reason it tells us he was troubled. Why, why do you think King Herod would have been troubled by the news of Jesus? Yeah, his throne was threatened. You've got these wise men that show up, which, let me ask you a quick trivia question. How many wise men were there? How do you know that? It says that in every Christmas song ever, you're right. Does it say it in Scripture? That's exactly right. The assumption is there were three wise men. And every manger that you've ever seen, you have the three wise men and they've got the three gifts. But Scripture never tells us there were only three. Yes, Eli. Yes. 
He would have been a little bit older. See, yeah, that, yeah that, I, I, I like that guy, all right? <laughs> You're absolutely right. We're, we're just going to blow your whole idea of the nativity out of the water tonight, okay? We're just, we're going to kick it out the window. And we're, uh, oh, okay. Remind me to show you guys, there's a video. It's called Retuning the Nativity. If you, if you go home tonight, look it up, okay? It's on YouTube. It's called Retuning the, the Nativity, and it actually looks at the normal nativity scene that we think of, and then it says, let's do it the way Scripture says it actually happened. And you'll be surprised at what that looks like. Way different than what you're used to and what tradition tells us. But you're right. Scripture never tells us there are three. The assumption has been, and, and that's why we hear it in all the songs and we see it in the nativity scenes, that there were three because there were three gifts. And, and we're going to get into the wise men here in a minute. But, but you've got King Herod and he's threatened. He's troubled because these wise men come and they tell him, hey, there's a new king and we want to go find him and we want to go visit him. And the problem here is Herod's bothered by that. In fact, if you go on, we won't read the rest of that passage right now because we're going to jump around a little bit. But in verses 4 through 12 there in Matthew chapter 2, it tells us that Herod meets with the wise men. And Herod says, wise men, I want you to go. I want you to find this child and I want you to come back and tell me where he is. And then in the next part, in verses 13 through 15, while the wise men, they go visit Jesus, God actually comes to them in a dream and tells them, hey, don't go back to Herod. You're going to go back home, but I want you to go home a different way. So they never go back to Herod. And guess what Herod's response is to that? He's mad. He's upset. In fact, look what he does. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And look at what he does. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod is so threatened and so worried about his power and his position and his ruling of his kingdom that because he couldn't find out where Jesus was, he just had all of the male children in that area killed during that time. All of the ones that would have lined up with that age and, and the, the, the information that the wise men had given him. For Herod, Jesus' birth, it was a threat to his stability and it was a threat to his power. His very existence, something to be avoided at all costs. He took lives. He killed people because he was so scared of what Jesus meant for his life. He was the threat. And guys, there's people today who see Jesus the exact same way. They've got their security. They've got their life. They've got things the way that they want them. And if, if they have to make room for Jesus in their life, that's a threat because it's going to destroy, it's going to disrupt everything that is the way they like it and the way that they know it. And, and I'm not naive enough to think that there's not people sitting in this room tonight that that's how you approach Jesus. That you, you may be here, but you see him as a threat to your freedom. You see him as a threat to doing things the way that you like to do them. And the problem with that is, when we start doing that, we start causing a whole lot of other problems for other people too. That's exactly what happened here. So that's response number one. If you're making room for Jesus, some people make room by trying to just get him out of the way completely. I don't want anything to do with him. He's a threat. Second response is this. 
Second response is a dutiful visit, almost an obligation. If you continue to walk through Scripture, we're going to jump back a little bit. In Matthew uh, chapter 2, you saw Herod's response for those who were uncomfortable or threatened by Jesus. But the response of the wise men, that's something different. The response of the wise men, they're watching the stars. Scripture, from, from, from the fact that we know these guys were watching stars, that they were reading signs, we, we have a vague idea that they might have had some kind of astronomy or astrology stuff that they were dealing with so that they were looking for that sign, that sign that had come through prophecy in Scripture. And because of that, they go visit Jesus when they see that star. And look at what it says here. Matthew 2, verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So you've got these wise men, they see the star, they're following the star, they come, they set off to honor this new king. Now, everything that we know about these wise men, they would have left everything they knew for a time. This might have been a journey that took them weeks or even months. We, we don't know how long it took them to make this actual trek because we don't know the exact area they were from. But what we do know is that they were willing to step away from everything that they knew, at least for a time. And we know that they had some kind of means, they had some kind of money, because the value of the gifts that they brought, they, they were great. So what we see here is that these wise men, at least for a short time, they push everything out of the way and make time for Jesus. Now, what we don't know is anything about them after this. We know that they didn't go back to Herod. We know that Scripture tells us that they headed home, but that's all we know. So their visit to Jesus, it was something that they made time for, something that not necessarily obligated to, but something that, that they stepped out of their normal routine for a time, and then they went back to life, and we don't know anything about their life after that. That's what some of us do when it comes to responding to Jesus, when it comes to making room for him. It's, it's that dutiful visit. It's, okay, I'm going to go worship God now because this is the time that I need to make for that, and then I'm going to step back into the rest of my life, and I'm not going to worry about that Jesus thing for that time. Some of you may even be here tonight. You're here because you're kind of obligated. Maybe, maybe your parents make you come. Maybe you come because it's just kind of expected. Everybody else is going to be there, so you probably ought to show up. So what you do is you make time to be here during this time, but then when you step out of this building, you don't really have anything else to do with Jesus after that. Think about that for a second. Think about how many times we walk out of a service and we thought, man, that, that, God spoke to me today. I felt him in the music. And, and when I was singing to him, and, and, and I, I got goosebumps when we were walking through Scripture, and I saw what God was talking about, and I know what he wanted me to do. And then you walk out of the building, and it's like, none of that ever happened. Because we make time for Jesus, and then we step out of that designated time, and, and we don't worry about him anymore. It's just for a brief period. 
And yet that's not what God calls us to when he calls us to respond to Jesus. These wise men, they were willing to make a sacrifice and they were willing to worship him for that time. Unfortunately, we don't know much about them after. There are extra biblical legends that tell us some other things, but that's just what they are. They're, they're legends. They're not scripture. So we don't know if any of them are real or not. The question is, is that how you respond to Jesus? When you think about making room for Jesus in your life, do you do it because you're obligated to do it? Do you do it because it's expected of you to do it? Do you do it because, okay, yes, this is going to be great right here and right now, and then it has nothing to do with the rest of your life? That's the second response we see here. And then there's a third one. The third response is a changed life. Jump back over to Luke chapter 2. That's where we were last week. And in Luke chapter 2, there's another encounter. If you've walked through the Christmas account before, the birth of Jesus, you know that at one point in time, there's an angel that appears to a group of who? Shepherds. Absolutely. He appears to this group of shepherds. They're out. They're in the fields. They're watching their sheep. They're minding their own business. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And it says that when they appeared, when the angel appears to them, it says the shepherds were afraid. But what they did is they listened to the angel. And the angel said, hey, a baby's been born. He's the Savior. And they paid attention to that. And they saw that, and just like the wise men, they saw that that was something important enough that they needed to stop what they were doing, and they needed to make time to go see what the angel was talking about. And that's exactly what they did. Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 15, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. These shepherds, much like the wise men, they stepped out of their ordinary, everyday routine and they went and they made time to go see this Jesus. But the difference is, Scripture tells us very clearly, we know this for a fact, they were changed with that encounter. It tells us there that they went away, that they were glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. Verse 18, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So they went, they went and saw the baby Jesus. And when they leave, they're not just saying, man, that was awesome. They're telling people. It says right there in verse 18, it says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. So when they leave, they didn't just have a great experience with Jesus. They left changed because they leave and they're praising and they're worshiping and they're telling everybody they come into contact with about who this Jesus is. That's the third response that we see in this account of Jesus here. It's a changed life. 
If we put that in there for us today, if we extend this into our context, that's what that means for us. When you encounter Jesus, it's not just a great experience that you have in that moment and then you move on with your life. It's a great experience that you have in that moment, but it's a life-changing experience that you have in that moment. It's something that affects you from that moment on. It's something that you can't be quiet about. It's something that you tell people about and it affects the way that you respond to God and it affects the way that you interact with other people. That's exactly what these guys are doing here. If you go with this option when you make room for Jesus, there's no going back to the way life was before because things are different for you now because you've encountered the Savior. You've made him a priority in your life. And that's exactly what we see right here. It's no longer, hey, I'm here on Wednesday night because my parents expect me to, or I'm here on Wednesday night because I'm made to be, or because other people think I should be here. It's, hey, I'm here on Wednesday night because I want to be. Not because of who my friends are. Yeah, I hope you have a great time when you come here. But more importantly, I hope you learn. I hope you grow. I hope you have a deeper understanding of who God is and that deeper understanding pushes you to tell other people about him, to tell other people why that matters so much in your life and what God is doing in your life. That's exactly what we see happening here. You do that because of your love for your Savior, because you want to spend time with him, because you want to be in his presence. And then there's a fourth response. You've got a threat, that's one response. You've got the dutiful visit, the obligation. You've got a changed life, and you've got a life that's focused on Christ. Because you can have a change and still let your life get focused on other things. And the two that we see in Scripture, and I'm not even going to read through all of that Scripture tonight because it's all through both of those chapters, the two that we see with a focused life on Jesus Christ are Mary and Joseph. Because if you stop and think about for a second, think about everything that Mary and Joseph had to do for that baby once he was born. Remember, we talked about last week, when, when, when you are pregnant, about, about to be a brand new mother, you go out of your way to get ready for that baby. You prepare and you plan and, and, and people call it nesting, where you're like getting everything ready for that baby to show up because you want everything to be perfect and yet in the middle of their plans they got thrown a curveball and everything went out the window they had to travel to Bethlehem they had to go what we talked about last week would have been about a four or five day travel on foot you've got a nine month pregnant Mary riding on a donkey like we said before that would be like us starting right here and walking all the way to Savannah that's how far they had to travel And yet, even when that baby was born, their life was focused on them, or on him. Little baby Jesus, we think about Jesus growing up. Think about baby Jesus. Scripture tells us that he physically, emotionally experienced everything that we experience. Can a baby take care of itself? No. Baby needs somebody to feed it. Baby needs somebody to change it, because that stuff gets nasty. Baby needs somebody to protect it. Baby needs somebody to rock it to sleep, to calm it down when it's scared. After it eats, to put it up on your shoulder and pat its back until it goes, 
burps and spits everywhere. Guys, that's the life that Mary and Joseph had when Jesus was born. Their entire existence was focused on him. They did everything you can imagine as a parent to take care of their baby, of their child. They were focused on Jesus. And and while Jesus is no longer an infant and Jesus doesn't need us to take care of him, he calls us to have a life focused on him. Not just a great spiritual and emotional experience when we go to church or camp or D-Now or whatever it is. Those things are great. Don't get me wrong. But those things can't stop when you walk out of that experience. What God's calling us to is a respond, a life that is focused on Jesus in every area of our life. You guys have heard me say this before. It's not, rec- it's not making Jesus Lord of your life because let me let you in on a secret. Jesus is already Lord. But you have the opportunity to acknowledge it. And allow him to be that in every area of your life. So I go back to that question that I asked you at the very beginning. If you're making room for Jesus, where do you put him? Do you see him as a threat to your life? Do you see him as a threat to your freedom and the things that you want to do and the life that you want to live? To the point that you just want to get him out of the way altogether. Do do you see him as as somebody that you're supposed to come visit? Do you see him as an obligation? Sundays, Wednesdays, maybe we'll pray before dinner. Or do you see him as someone who's transformed your life to where you're talking about him? To where you want to be around him and you want to be in his presence and you want to spend time in his word? Or is every part of your life focused on him? every part your family relationships your friend relationships your dating relationships the things that you watch the things that you read the things that you listen to the thoughts that you allow into your head the words that you allow to come out of your mouth the way that you interact with strangers do you allow that to be the focus of every area of your life Every single one of us in this room, we respond to that question in one of those four ways. There's not a whole lot of in-between there. And, and if you're here tonight and, and your response to Jesus is not total and complete focus on him, my question is, what is stopping you? What is it that is so threatening about Jesus in your life? What is it that makes it feel like, I mean, I have to be here because my parents told me to be here and I don't really want to be here. What is it that's keeping you from saying, okay, Jesus, I want you here and in these parts, but I'm not ready to give you these parts of my life yet. If you're in one of those responses tonight, I want to pray for you. Our other adults in this room want to pray for you. Because God is calling you not to stay where you are. God is calling you to a life, to an existence that is 100% focused on Him in everything that you do. Everything that you do. To live a life that honors Him. To live a life that points other people towards Jesus Christ. And, And if you're in here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus 
You heard me talk at the beginning that the reason Jesus was born is because he was born to die. He was born to pay the penalty that we owe for our sins. Scripture tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. You may say, hey, well, you know what? I'm a good person. You may be a good person, but you're still a sinner, just like everybody else in existence. And Scripture tells us our sin, our sin deserves death and separation from God for eternity. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That doesn't mean you get to live forever. But it means that day that you die when you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, in that moment, you go to be with God. But more importantly, it means right now while you're alive taking breath, you have a relationship with a God that loves you and a God that wants nothing but the best for your life. Doesn't promise you an easy life, doesn't promise you a perfect life, but he promises you a life where he is with you every step of the way and he is in control of all of it. And if you're in here tonight and and you don't have that relationship, we're gonna stand up and we're gonna sing in a minute and I'm gonna be standing right down front and I would love to talk to you about how to take that first step. You can talk to any of the adults in this room. They would have the same conversation with you. If you're here tonight and you know you're one of those first three responses, I want to pray for you. If you feel like God's calling you to take a step closer to him, write it down on one of those prayer cards. Drop it in the basket right there because every single week I pray for those cards. And I make copies and I send them out to your adult life group leaders and they pray for you as well. Because God has a plan for your life. And God wants every part of your life. But what are you doing to make room for him? Where are you putting him tonight? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for your word that we can look at, that we can try to understand the relationship that you want to have with us. God, we thank you that Jesus was born to go to the cross. God, I pray for every one of us in this room tonight. Help us, God. Help us to put Jesus at the center of everything. Help us to make him the focus of our entire lives. God, I know that you're calling each one of us to live a life that honors you. And God, if there's anybody in here tonight that that may be struggling with that or has questions or just doesn't even know what that begins to look like. God, I would pray you give them the courage to come talk to one of these adults in this room tonight. God, we love you and we thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.